Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. This morning, if you would grab your Bible, turn turn to Luke chapter number six. This morning, if my if my twelve year old and soon to be ten year old at the end of the month can memorize that, you can too. That way, if somebody asks you why do you choose to believe the Bible, well, because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at the River believe in sola scriptura, which is the Bible alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Sola Christus, which is Christ alone. Sola Gracia, which is grace and grace alone. And sole Deo, Gloria, a Latin phrase, once again, that means God alone receives the glory. If you turn to Luke chapter number 6, uh, the, what we're going through right now is actually the woes and the wheels. The, it's an old word, wheel, W-E-A-L, which is blessings. The woes mean are, are curses, and we actually see those in the Beatitudes from verses 20 all the way to verses 26, the blessings and the woes. We see that. And we're going to move through those quickly as we get into verse 27. So if you've got a copy of God's Holy Word, I do encourage you to open it and study along with us this morning. Whenever you go hear a preacher speak, if he doesn't go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in my opinion, I believe that's the only way to preach. You can go to a, 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 a topical sermon and have something, a topic, but we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at Riverside because these are the words of God to make the whole word of God to make the whole Christian. As you look in Luke chapter number 6 verse 20, follow along with me. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. We examined that about two or three weeks ago. As he looks at his disciples, he tells them that they're poor. And he tells them that their kingdom is the kingdom of God. Even though they don't have a lot here on the earth. That Peter later will say, Lord, we have given up land and property and status to dedicate ourselves to you. And Jesus tells him that eye has not seen, ear has not heard those good things that God has prepared for those who trust in God. He tells him that they're poor in spirit, that they have no account with God, no credit with God. So we have to have a transfer of righteousness, which Jesus accomplishes on our behalf. He tells us that we will inherit the kingdom of God. Then in verse 21, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. We see the counter to that in Matthew chapter 6, chapter 5, verse number 6. He says, Those who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, you will be satisfied. That we are not to be satisfied here on this earth. That yes, yes, we can get a nice car, we can get a nice house. There's nothing wrong with those things. But ultimately, we're pilgrims passing through. He tells us that we will be ultimately satisfied in Him alone. He tells us again, blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. If you are struggling in this life, if you are barely making it through, if you are like Lot in the Sodom and Gomorrah story where he looks around at the culture and he weeps and he grieves in his soul because he knows there's a righteousness and there's a holiness that the culture has not wrapped their heads around. He says that you will be satisfied. You will weep now, but you will laugh. But then he tells us again in verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you 
And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Many people read verse 22 and use it as an excuse to be a, a, a rude or a melancholy type person. However, I want to remind you that some people are just jerks. Some people are just mean. And that's not an excuse to be mean whenever you read this verse and it says, oh, well, everybody ain't going to like me. Even Jesus said that, that they'll revile me, that they'll treat me bad and exclude me. But Jesus tells us here, it's on the account of the Son of Man. Not because you're a stinker. Not because you're an old stick in the mud. Not because you're just a hateful person. But it's, they revile you because of the Son of Man. That means you're like Jesus and Jesus was not a stick in the mud. Jesus was not hateful. He did not cut out all the negative people out of his life. He did not ignore people. He was not racist. He was not angry. He was not a leftist or a rightist. He was, he was the son of God. And when we're like him, people will revile you, not because you're just hateful. Amen. Somebody. So if you have that attitude, well, I know everybody ain't going to like me. That's just who I am. Why don't we change that and say, I'm working on that and I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'd rather be reviled for who He is and what I believe in and how I'm trying to walk in Him. For even Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say that about you? Should you would you look at anybody in your church, in your immediate faith family and say, imitate me as I imitate in Christ? Because that's a heavy load to put on yourself. Imitate me as I'm walking in the footsteps of Christ. As I'm pursuing holiness. As I'm serving God. Reading my Bible daily. Praying and submitting myself. All my facets, all my facilities, all my talent, treasures, and time. I give to Him and I serve Him. Can you say that? I certainly hope so as we continue in this walk together. We have decades ahead of us. Even though we have decades behind of us, we have not arrived as we continue to strive towards holiness and righteousness. He says, They will spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. He says, Rejoice in that day, in verse 23, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. That you won't receive accolades. There was a time where Christendom or churchdom, I would say that, but there was a time in the 50s and 60s that maybe it was beneficial for you to go to church because many people would gather to church. It was a political status. You would show up in your nice big cars, get out with the nice comb overs, the rooster combs, get out in your nice suits and get to church because that's just the culture. But those days have passed here in our culture. Now, it's not beneficial to be a part of a Bible-believing church. It is not. They look at you as bigoted and small-minded, archaic and old-fashioned. But give me Jesus over all titles and accolades, all positions, over all, all places of influence. I'd rather humble myself before God than be exalted before men. Amen, somebody. He says rejoice in that, that we should rejoice when they call you bigots because you will not affirm their pronouns. What are you talking about, preacher? For those who don't know, people will have their own preferred pronouns now. Yeah, for now you call me a Zem, Z-E-M. What is that? Something I made up because I don't want to be a he or she. And if you call me something else other than he or she, uh, you're a bigot and you're hateful. There's things God assigns at birth. Your gender, your skin color, He assigns those things. He assigns us. And whenever we're in full rebellion against the Holy God, we say, no God, I'm going to be what I want to be. But we are 
considered archaic and small-minded whenever we do that. Did you know in the transgender, transgender uh, community, especially in our young people, the suicide rate is outstanding. That whenever a, a young child who believes he's five or six years old believes that he's a, he's a girl, but really he was born with boy parts, and they encourage such mental illness in that child and even give him puberty blockers. They bring in drag queens into the story time in the local library, set the children down and teach them about alternative lifestyles, trying to swallow the very things that are repulsive to God. Before we jump on the transgender bandwagon, let us go back though and look at how uh, our community and our, and our culture has lived as if there was no morals anyway. It all really falls back on Ronald Reagan. And I'm just going to be honest because he, made a, he, made a, he passed a bill where, where you can have an, a divorce for any reason. Just say it's an amicable, that you just can't work it out. Whenever we consider divorce something that everybody does. What happens when somebody commits to somebody for the rest of their life in spite of them? Believing that it's less of me and more for you like Christ like Christ does the church. Amen. Mighty quiet in here, but it sure is true. In a culture where we want to redefine what's a man and what's a woman, now they're debating in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, what's a pastor. Because they can't define what a man or a woman is. So the, the department or the, the office of a pastor, it could be anything. Where words actually mean things. Where do you get all that from? Verse 23. I'm supposed to joy, be rejoiceful and leap for joy because I stand for truth and I do what He commands me to do. Even though it will cause me status, it will cause me a paycheck, it will cause me a position of influence, I will stand flat-footed behind the pulpit and not water down the gospel and biblical terms just to make it tasteful for our society. He says, so their prophets did to the so their fathers did to the prophets. Yes, they rolled her eyes at D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon. They rolled her eyes at A.W. Pink. I'm saying old-fashioned preachers. They rolled their eyes at those like Paul Washer and John MacArthur today, John Piper, those who are faithful ministers of the gospel who were not compromised. They'll do so to us. Because we are sola scriptura. What he says is what I abide by. Not my opinion and not my feelings. He calls me blessed when the world calls me cursed. But in verse 24, Jesus changes focus. He tells us, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Not that it's a sin to be rich, but Jesus actually explains it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of God because they lean into their riches and the things they possess and not trusting in God. Remember, when we opened service this morning, we spoke about Proverbs 30, verse 8. Lord, don't give me too much where I forget you. And Lord, don't, don't take so much from me that I sin against you because I have to provide for myself. Either one, we got to see what you're self-reliant. Will you believe i got to make it for myself? i got to make it happen because God is not making it happen. So i got to take matters into my own hands. Either way, you're going to sin against God. So what David is crying out to us and telling us through the Scripture is trust in God. Whether you're in feast or famine, trust in God. No matter if gas goes to $7, $10 a gallon, trust in God. If the rain never comes again, trust in God. Ha <laughs> ha! But woe to you who are rich. 
Woe to us if we were sitting comfortably on a nice nest egg where we don't have to pray. Let trouble come our way, Lord, to cause us to fall to our knees and plead with you to move on our behalf. In verse 25, Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Those who are satisfied here. Those who are satisfied here on this earth. That you live your full contentment here. I hope that there's a holy thirst that's awakening in you. That there's more to life than getting up every day, clocking in, doing the work, 9 to 5, going home and living your best life now. If you're living your best life now, here, then afterwards it's hell for you. I may be going through the trials and tribulations in this world, but my best is yet to come. I'm trusting in Him. As hard as things can get here, that's okay. My God is still in control. And everything's going to, in the long run, is going to be alright. Amen, somebody. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. This morning I ask, are you full? Are you full of this world? Are you so full of yourself there ain't no room for Jesus in your life anyway? Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Those who are, who are uh, flippant about the things of God, they take theology and they throw it out the window and say that there's nothing sacred and they laugh about any and everything. Defiling the name of God. Laughing at everything, not taking anything seriously. Oh yes, outside the pulpit, I'd love to joke around. I have a good time. Y'all know that. I love that. I, I laugh a lot of stuff. But when it comes to the things of God and standing behind this pulpit, I don't crack many jokes. It's like a surgeon in the surgery room, working in the operating room, cracking jokes while the person is laying there on the table, hinging on all the movements of the surgeon. And I want to be a good surgeon. I want to take the scalpel of God's holy word and cut out sin out of your life, speaking the words of life to the people of God. But we are not to laugh at the things of God because He says you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you so that the fathers did to the false prophets. In verse 26, we see that Jesus is telling us that when everyone speaks well of you, that means you have to appease people. Let this be a warning to the people pleasers. For those who are called into ministry. Those who not only work here at the river, but you have a ministry outside the walls of this church. Being a people pleaser. Where you tell them things that will soothe their ears like rubbing butter on their ears. That you tickle their ears. And you don't tell them the things of God. And you're accepted by anything and everybody. That we're people pleasers. Young man who's called into the ministry, don't be a people pleaser. Be a king pleaser. Who cares who it offends as long as it pleases him. The truth will offend, absolutely. But as long as you please him in the long run, the end of the day, was God pleased with you, with your words? Was God pleased with your giving? Was God pleased with your attending? Was God pleased with your work? At the end of the day, he says, woe to you. When all people speak well of you, you should be known by what you're against, but also who you're for. Amen, somebody. Amen. Now we start our text in verse 27. This won't be easy to preach because nobody likes their enemies, obviously. In verse 27, but I say to you who hear, Notice he says to those who hear, I know you can hear me, I'm loud, I know that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's one thing to hear, but it's another to get understanding. 
This morning I pray that you receive understanding from the words of God. Love your enemies is what it says. I didn't skip that, did I? Nope, it says right there. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Me either. Let's keep going though. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This did not go over well in that congregation when Jesus was teaching to His disciples. The reason being, I want to remind you, that His twelve disciples were all Jewish. They were being occupied by the Roman government. They were being suppressed. There was a tyrant in control. Nero was about to take the throne. At this point, there's a lot of persecution that's going to take place once Jesus dies on the cross and raises again in three, in three days. But He tells His disciples, love your enemies. Let me read that again. Love your enemies. You know what it says in the Hebrew? Love your enemies. Spanish, it says love your enemies. How do you do that? You do good to those who hate you. The ones that want to put you in the ground. Do good to them. <laughs> I don't like this preacher. Bless those who curse you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. You hear what they said about me? You hear what they say about white privilege? You hear what they say about Black Lives Matter? You hear about that? It's always like we're separated and caused to be at odds with each other. That's what our society does. Oh, you're different than them. I want to make sure you see that how different you are. And causes us to conjure up hate for each other. Whether we're separated by skin color or class or even borders. We always have a reason to hate somebody. But Jesus commands to us. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. A couple of years ago, not even that quite long ago, they were talking about how reparations would come across because of sins of past generations of certain races. As if the children who were born in 2022 or 20, 2020 had to pray, had to feel the guilt of what took place at Pearl Harbor. That don't make any sense. That child had nothing to do with that. Amen. And now we, we have those who are feeling guilty about slavery in America. I, I, I can't help what my ancestors did. Amen. But when the gospel is preached, it tears down everything that separates us. That we're now children of God. For those race baiters who continue to separate people out of hate. Why don't you preach this verse? Forgive those who abuse you. Show mercy to those. And you might say, well, that's your white privilege. That's a phrase that gets thrown around today. I'm going to tell you about my white privilege. I struggle just like everybody else. I was handed nothing. That means I'm losing on easy. I'm doing the best I can. God's hands on me just like He's on everybody else. And I'll have another reason to hate anybody when He commands me to love. Even if they don't see the world in my view. Even if they don't believe in God. He tells me to do good to those who hate me. To love them. I, I know you don't like this, but this is what our God commands. I want you to look at it from Jesus' point of view. I want you to understand that you ain't always been a Christian. You didn't come out of your womb saying, there's power in the blood. You didn't do that. 
You didn't come out of the world saying, I'm ready to get baptized. Let's do communion. You did not. You came out of the womb screaming into this world. Angry at the top of your tongue, at the top of your lungs, screaming as the doctor popped you on the bottom or however. And from that day on, you've been in war against God and His mercy and His grace. He has drawn you to Himself. What if He did not love His enemies? Because the truth is, the Bible tells us that in the wound I was angry and I was bitter. In iniquity I was born, is what it says in Psalm 139. In sin I was conceived and I was His enemy. Yet He showed me mercy. <laughs> That's good to me. Maybe not to you. Maybe you always, maybe you God's second cousin. Maybe you his grandkids. But I won't and ain't. That I was adopted in, grafted in, brought in by grace and amazing grace. Brought in to sit at the table with his heavenly family. I had no right to be brought in. But he showed grace upon this wretched sinner. He had every right to hate me. In fact, Psalm 7, 11 says he's angry with the wicked every day. That means me. Paul said I was the chief of sinners. Paul is dead. Now I wear the crown. I'm the chief of sinners because I know my wickedness. I don't know all your business. I'm the biggest sinner I know. I'm the worst member of this church. I'm the biggest sinner in my household because I sinned against the Holy God. Yet he loved me before I knew him. He extended grace towards me. Even when I didn't see him eye to eye and understand all his philosophies and his, his, his tendencies I didn't agree with. So now that the ground is level before everybody, when we were enemies towards him, he still died for us. And he commands his people, love your enemies. What if they're, what if they're angry? Love your enemies. What if, they, what if they hate me? Want to see me in the ground, my children in the ground, my whole family, my nation, everything I stand for. Love your enemies. He actually tells you to pray for your enemies. I don't know who your enemies are. Believe me, I got enemies. I, I realize I got some I don't even know. But I want to challenge our congregation for the next 30 days. Pray for your enemies. That's what it says. He says, pray for your enemies. What if I don't know who they are? Well, pray that He'll show you. <laughs> pray for your enemies. Do it for the next 30 days. Pray for your enemies. I can't pray for them. I don't love them. Well, sometimes you can only pray through your gritted teeth. God bless them. God help them. And when He blesses them, don't get mad at God because you asked them to do it. As you start to develop love for your enemies. That's what Jesus did and does. He prays for His enemies. When He was hanging on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. A lot of times, your enemies don't really hate you. They hate the God you represent. Amen. Amen. If you've got to pray through teeth or through tears, harboring back unforgiveness and wounds in your soul, pray for them. What if they're already dead? Pray for the family. Pray for yourself. Pray for your enemies. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does. I don't like that. I can't say that I do either, but I'm going to adhere to what He said. I'm going to honor 
Him, as these are the oracles of God. He says, pray for those who abuse you. That means they're constantly hounding on you, hammering on you, hurting you now. He says, pray for them. Love them. In fact, in verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then third, in verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. I tell you, coming up in my background, where I was raised, how I was raised, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like verse 29. I don't. I struggle with it. You hit me, I'm probably going to hit you back. It's just a reflex. I can't help it. I, I mean, but I want you to understand in verse 29, Jesus is not talking about being a pacifist. That's not what He's talking about, the government abusing people. The government being a, a tyrant. We read that over in Romans chapter 13. How we are have Christian ethics towards civil government. But this is talking about ethics towards other people on a personal level. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 43, there's a time where Jesus is speaking after He's arrested. And He speaks to the high priest. And He knows who the high priest is. And He speaks in such a way that somebody standing by slaps Jesus across the face. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44, you have heard that it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's where Jesus once again tells us to love our enemies and pray for us. But in John chapter 18, verse 22, and when he said these things, one of the officials standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Is that how you answer the high priest? Is what he said. In verse 23, Jesus said, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if I said what is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is pointing out here, I'm telling you the truth. And yet you hit me. Notice He didn't turn the other cheek and say, hit me again. That's not what He's talking about. Jesus is telling us here in this verse that we are to bear the insult. To be slapped on the right cheek is to have somebody backhand you and to receive the insult. So Jesus says, turn your other cheek and say, hit me again. Take and bear the insult. Whenever people say something about you, is your pride so puffed up that you can't let it slide? Oh, I can't let you get away with saying that about me and my family. Oh, you don't know where I'm from. Is your pride so puffed up that you cannot take the insult? Jesus tells us in our time, insult and offenses will come. Notice an offense. You take offense. You have to take it. When somebody intends to harm you and hurt you and they point at you and snipe at you, say backhanded comments to you, you can't take offense. You receive it. Jesus says whenever you get offended, just turn the other cheek and say, I, I don't hold that against you. If you want to strike me again, fine. Let us walk in such a way that we don't take the offense. 1 Corinthians says, chapter 13, love covers and bears offenses. Love forgives. Love is long-suffering. Well, I don't love them. You just heard to love your enemies. So it covers those in your immediate household. And it covers those around the way who hate you to the core. You are to love your enemies. Ooh, mighty quiet in here. I didn't expect babies to be thrown in the air and people swing from the chandelier. These are the words of God and it corrects the people of God. That we are to love our enemies. 
Give to everyone who begs from you in verse 30. And for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. In verse 30, he tells you to give up your rights. I don't like that at all. What about my civil rights? What about my personal rights? Jesus begs His disciples, give up your rights, take the offense. Even Paul teaches in Corinthians that there are those in the body of Christ who have lawsuits against each other because they demand what's rightfully theirs. When Jesus calls His disciples, He calls bondservants, those who are slaves, He calls them to Himself. He says, give up your rights. Give up your life. Follow after Me. Adhere to what I say. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Treat them good. Oh, believe me. It cuts going out as well as receiving it. It corrects me as well. They don't know who I am. They don't know what kind of experiences I've had. What days I've gone and seen. They disrespect me. They don't know anything about me. They're assuming things about me. Jesus says, give them your left cheek as well. Turn to the other cheek. Don't take offense. Be willing to take the punch on the jaw. Pray for those who hurt you and despise you. Pray for those who use you is what He says. That means, for those who can relate, if your ex shows up and they need, they need help, help them. Oh, I don't like that. They don't say that. If they're your enemy, show love towards them. An ex-friend who betrays you. Love them. Did you know that Judas was going to betray Jesus and Jesus knew it the whole time but still washed his feet and sat at the table with him? Jesus showed him love. Amen. Truth is, we're all Judas is in the eyes of Christ. We betrayed him and he showed us love. Amen. I promise we're almost done with this. So some of you can sigh with relief. But in verse 31... And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Oh man, that's a punch in the gut. Because I know what I've done to other people. I've talked about them and their, fall, their fallacies. I, I've exposed all their sins. I've told them, I told everybody who would listen. Oh, they're, they're struggling over here. And even blanketed and hid it and put up a smoke screen like it's a prayer request. And I talked about their flaws ignoring my own. If you got caught in sin, if you failed before God, would you want everybody talking about your business and kicking dirt on you? Would you? Let's be honest. Or would you want somebody to show discretion, show mercy and grace, come along beside you when you're struggling? Do you want somebody, when you finally come back to church, to stand at the door and say, well, it's about time you showed up? Or do you want to be like Christ and have... Have the horns outstretched when people come home who have been wayward, have been the prodigal, and show grace upon them, mercy and forgiveness. Treat others how you want to be treated. If somebody has fell out of church for a while, don't pour the guilt on. Go to them and say, I'm glad you're here. I've missed you. If you're out of church for a while, do you want somebody to call you and say, just thinking about you. Hope you're doing well. Is there anything I can do for you? You got groceries? How's the gas situation? Everybody good in the house? If you fall on hard times, what would you want from somebody to do for you? Go do likewise. 
If you offended somebody and you didn't even know it, how would you want that situation handled? Would you want to go decades with that person not speaking to you and you don't even know why? Or do you go to them and say, hey, let's hash things out. You might not even intended it this way, but I took offense and I'm sorry. I want to go and say, I'm sorry, even though I'm the one who was offended. How would you want to be treated in that situation? If you're married and you see your spouse is tanked and out of gas and they just can't give anymore. If that was you, how would you want to be treated? My mama came up to me and she told me when we first got married, I want to let everybody know that me and Sherry have been together 20, 28 years. 27, good gracious, as of yesterday. But when we first got married, mama came up to me and said, it's not 50-50. It's 100, 100. Some days she won't be able to give 100%. So you will. And some days you won't. And they will. How would you want to be treated? If you go to a, a small, beautiful little church like this, how would you want the preacher to treat you? So how do you treat the preacher? How would you want the deacons to speak to you? How do you treat the others around you? Amen, somebody. Do so unto others as how you want to be treated. Amen. You know, it's strange, even in psychological realms, that people have five love languages. They talk about that. The love language. You're like, what is that? Or there's different types of personalities, and people show their love in certain types of way. People who are affectionate, they touch. People who work on the job and give gifts. There's people who give their time. There's people who do those things. And sometimes when you, you do something that person don't, they don't react the way that you would react. There's some people who don't care if they get a card in the mail. But for you, you're like, I love giving cards in the mail. But you know what? Do it anyway. Even if they don't like hugs. Hey, don't do it. Six foot apart. Don't give me no hug. Just give me a fist bump or wave at me. Still, stretch out and give the love that you would like to receive. Don't grow weary in doing good. Commit your ways unto the Lord. Honor Him. Even if you don't like them. Even if they're your enemy. We struggle with loving the people we're supposed to love. Let's be honest. But now He's calling us to love our enemies. And the thing about love is it endures. It conquers. It saves and it redeems. How do I know? Because Jesus loved a wretch like me. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, this morning I pray that You'll stir the hearts of Your people as we receive the words of God. We re